My name is Dr. Joshua Knapp. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers, as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition, doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christ-likeness in all we do. Hi, I'm Dr. Joshua Nab, and welcome to the 36th episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that I think is incredibly important in the Christian life, well-being. To begin, I think a few initial questions are important to consider for 21st century Christ followers. What is well-being? More specifically, what is mental well-being? How about spiritual well-being? What are their ingredients? How does well-being, both mental and spiritual, relate to other types of mental health? How about mental suffering? Can well-being be improved through interventions and skills and so on and so forth? What, if anything, does the Bible say about well-being in the form of the Hebrew word shalom? How might, from a Christian perspective, improving well-being help us to live more fully devoted to loving God and others? And lastly, what might classic Christian spiritual writings have to say about the topic, if anything, of well-being? So before providing a quick personal story, I'd like to offer a few powerful quotes to get us started today. The Dalai Lama is quoted as saying, quote, A calm mind brings inner strength and happiness and self-confidence. So that's very important for good health. And happiness is the highest form of health. The American psychologist Abraham Maslow said, quote, The ability to be in the present moment is a major component of mental wellness. Another American psychologist, Martin Seligman, noted, quote, Well-being cannot exist just in your head. Well-being is a combination of feeling good as well as, well as actually having meaning, good relationships, and accomplishment. Turning to Christianity, the great 20th century writer C.S. Lewis declared, quote, Every Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. The 20th century Christian pastor and writer Andrew Murray taught, quote, If the spiritual life is to be healthy under the full power of the Holy Spirit, praying without ceasing will be natural. Turning to scripture in the Gospel of John, Jesus promised, quote, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, 
do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In Galatians, Paul explained that the fruit of the Spirit is, among others, peace. So love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. And finally, in Philippians, Paul explained that, quote, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So with these secular and religious quotes in mind, we can easily see the importance of mental and spiritual health in life, including for 21st century Christ followers. Yet what is this psychological and spiritual health or well-being that is so often difficult to define and hold on to in a fallen, broken world? In this episode, I'd like to do just that, exploring both mental and spiritual well-being, including secular and Christian insights to help 21st century Christ followers to find both a short-term peace and pleasure in life, since life is a blessing from God, as well as a more long-term meaning, purpose, fulfillment, and satisfaction, given the many impermanent, fleeting, temporary pleasures of this life, although they can certainly be a blessing from God, will not always be present. So before turning to the secular psychology literature, though, I'd like to tell a personal story. As a child, I used to love being lost in play, enjoying building a Lego set, riding a bike with my friends, spending the night at a friend's house, eating pizza for dinner, enjoying cookies and cream ice cream, and so on and so forth. In my early years of life as a child, I regularly pursued more short-term pleasure, which came with it a childlike innocence. I might say that I had one component of well-being, the pursuit and often attainment of short-term pleasure. Yet things changed in middle school given my family fell apart, and I often felt alone, struggling to find enjoyment and friends and experiences because my home life was such a mess. Gradually, I started to look to a bigger picture perspective, a more transcendent understanding of this world, and a more sustaining, unwavering, long-term well-being. Although I would not begin to sort this more long-term well-being out until I headed into my mid-twenties, early in life, I realized that short-term pleasure and happiness were fleeting, and I could not exclusively rely on what has been referred to as hedonic well-being, hedonism, or temporary happiness or pleasure on the arduous journey called life. Instead, I needed to zoom out, to use a camera metaphor, to see a bigger picture perspective, a bigger meaning and purpose beyond the fleeting pleasure that I found so hard to attain beginning in my adolescent years. Although the innocence of life ended for me around the age of 12 years old, young adolescence, I'm now grateful that I began the journey earlier in life toward the pursuit of a more balanced type of well-being with mental elements, including at times hedonic well-being or temporary pleasure, and another type of well-being, a more long-term well-being, eudaimonic, E-U-D-A-I-M-O-N-I-C, which captures a bigger picture perspective on life, filled with meaning, personal growth, the pursuit of values and virtues, and the ability to continue on in life to contribute to the betterment of society. 
I also began to pursue a spiritual well-being, which brings with it a more transcendent perspective wherein God is at the center, not me. So now let's turn to the secular psychology literature to better understand the different types of well-being, mental well-being, which includes hedonic and eudaimonic well-being, and spiritual well-being. For millennia, writers across disciplines, from philosophy to theology to the sciences to the arts, have been trying to capture the good life, or the pursuit of happiness, contentment, connection, love, peace, and so forth. Since the formal founding of the secular scientific discipline of psychology about 150 years ago or so, Psychologists, too, have been attempting to understand positive functioning, including positive psychological or mental functioning, such as happiness, life satisfaction, and so forth. Psychologists have also, in the last half century or so, been increasingly studying the psychology of religion and spirituality, including the positive mental aspects of organized religion and a more spiritual, transcendent perspective. When it comes to mental well-being, a variety of theoretical and empirical works have captured positive mental functioning, with psychologists of religion and spirituality also attempting to capture spiritual well-being. So with this understanding in mind, let's now turn to definitions and research support for the idea that the pursuit and attainment of well-being, both mental and spiritual, is possible. And it's good for us to intentionally cultivate and maintain well-being for holistic health. So according to the American Psychological Association Dictionary of Psychology, well-being is defined as, quote, a state of happiness and contentment with low levels of distress, overall good physical and mental health and outlook, or good quality of life, end quote. And this well-being includes thoughts, feelings, and an overall positive psychological functioning. It also includes elements of what's called eudaimonic well-functioning, or long-term stable meaning and purpose in life, as well as the more short-term hedonic functioning, or the short-term pursuit of temporary pleasure and the avoidance of pain. In terms of spiritual well-being, beyond mental well-being, it's been presented, developed, theorized about, and researched in the secular psychology literature, focusing on the areas of personal, communal, environmental, and transcendental well-being. So if spiritual or spirituality is simply, simply defined as a quest, search, sensitivity, awareness, or concern for the divine or sacred, including a more transcendent meaning in life, for many, especially those who are theistic and believe in a personal transcendent God, not just a material natural world, Spiritual well-being may be just as, if not more important than, mental well-being. And the two, at least from my perspective, should work together when it comes to holistic health so that we are looking at really psychological, biological, social, and spiritual health. With both mental and spiritual well-being being theorized about, written on, and researched in secular psychology, Psychologists have been busy trying to understand the psychological and spiritual dimensions of more short-term pleasure combined with more long-term meaning, purpose, and satisfaction, this combination. So in terms of the ingredients of mental well-being, 
in a popular mental well-being measure questionnaire widely used in the secular psychology literature, both hedonic and eudaimonic ingredients of well-being are discussed, such as feeling cheerful, optimistic about the future, and relaxed, having satisfying, rewarding, and close relationships with others, and positive overall psychological functioning, such as having energy, thinking clearly, accepting the self, and feeling positive and confident about the self, feeling competent, functioning autonomously or independently, handling problems effectively, and taking an interest in new things, new adventures in life. In terms of the ingredients of spiritual well-being, it has been researched with a popular measure capturing several domains of life, including personal, communal, environmental, and transcendental. With personal spiritual well-being, the focus is on how we as humans cultivate and maintain meaning, purpose, and values in life, along with things like personal self-esteem, contentment, integrity, patience, the pursuit of values, and the cultivation of peace and joy and so forth. Communal spiritual well-being involves effectively relating to others, focusing on love and empathy, faith, hope, trust, kindness, forgiveness, respect, justice, and so forth, extended to the people in our life. Environmental well-being consists of the care that humans extend to the physical world around us, such as having an experience of wonder and awe and unity when it comes to relating to the environment and seeing beauty all around us. And lastly, transcendental spiritual well-being captures how we relate to a higher power, often referred to as God, made up of a sense of worship and adoration to this deity or greater being beyond the self, an experience of oneness with and faith in God, a life of prayer towards God, a belief in life after death, what Christians refer to as heaven, a sense of peace with God, and the practice of relying on sacred writings to connect to God, such as the Bible for Christians. So in terms of the relationship between well-being, both mental and spiritual, and other forms of mental health, in research over the last few decades, mental well-being has been positively connected to, associated with, or correlated with happiness, positive affect, or positive emotions, and life satisfaction, and negatively linked to negative affect or negative emotions. In a separate line of research, when it comes to spiritual well-being in the 21st century, it's been positively linked to happiness and negatively linked to what's called neuroticism or a range of symptoms such as depression, anxiety, and so forth. In terms of interventions to improve well-being, mindfulness meditation is in the conversation as it is in many, many areas of functioning in the psychology literature. And mindfulness meditation, as a reminder, involves non-judgmental present moment awareness with common practices involving mindfulness of breathing or mindful walking or being mindful when we're washing the dishes and so forth as we're using the five senses to have a direct experience of whatever we're doing in the here and now, not overly relying on the often judgmental and critical and overactive mind 
A recent study on an eight-week mindfulness skills course for college students in the UK revealed that mental well-being increased over the eight-week course. Also, as another intervention, loving-kindness meditation has been researched, which is really popular right now in the secular psychology literature. And loving-kindness meditation comes from Buddhism, as does mindfulness, and involves repeating short mantras about ourselves. For example, may I be happy, may I be at ease, may I be free from suffering. And then we extend these mantras to others to cultivate oneness and compassion and joy and equanimity and loving kindness. May you be happy, may you be free from suffering. A recent study examining the use of a four-week online loving-kindness meditation to improve well-being found that among a sample of UK and US adults online, well-being increased over the four-week period of time. And in terms of interventions to improve spiritual well-being, a study from about 10 years ago investigated a six-week mantra meditation program for war veterans and these individuals had PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. The intervention, the mantra meditation using a sacred word including or sacred phrase included three tools that were developed. So repeating a mantra, slowing down, and focused sustained attention, or what the authors called one-pointed attention. And this is what we might call a concentrative form of meditation, wherein the person practicing selects and repeats a sacred word or a short sacred phrase, such as my God and my all from this study, during their daily activities to cultivate cultivate focused, sustained attention, and greater awareness of the inner world by slowing down throughout the day. Over time, the individual is able to use the short word or phrase to gently notice with greater awareness and shift from the distressing symptoms, in this case trauma-related, slowing down to connect to the mantra with a more deliberate, pointed attention. So in this study, pre-to-post-intervention, the mantra group reported a reduction in a range of symptoms, including trauma symptoms, with an overall improvement in spiritual well-being. So to summarize, mental well-being consists of a more short-term, pleasure-seeking happiness, which we all try to attain in life, along with a more long-term fulfillment and life satisfaction. So we're looking at hedonic and eudaimonic well-being. And this more long-term satisfaction attempts to live out a set of values more broadly, or what we might call in Christianity virtues more narrowly, moral behaviors and to pursue long-term goals and build long-term skills, coupled with finding meaning and purpose and committing to the betterment of society. In terms of spiritual well-being, we can focus on personal, communal, environmental, and transcendental health, with spirituality defined defined as a search for and awareness and sensitivity toward the sacred or higher power. For Christians, this would be God. In terms of interventions, secular psychologists have confirmed that we can improve mental and spiritual well-being, often looking to meditative practices, which oftentimes come from the Buddhist tradition, mindfulness, loving-kindness, and sacred word or mantra meditation. For Christians, though, God's word, the Bible, should foundationally inform what the good life consists of, 
with a balance between short-term pleasurable blessings from God and long-term meaning, purpose, and really sanctification, or becoming holy and more like Christ because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This balance from a Christian perspective should bring with it a deeper, more abiding peace in the Christian, Christian life. So now I'd like to discuss Christian peace, which includes examining a fascinating word in Christianity, the Hebrew word shalom, to get a better sense of what Christian well-being consists of. So throughout the Bible, we learn about the peace that comes from a relationship with God. According to the Upper Room Dictionary of Christian Spiritual Formation, peace is, quote, a sign of Christian faith to the presence of God's kingdom on earth. It is both an individual characteristic and a communal goal. The Hebrew scriptures go beyond an understanding of peace as external good wishes, material blessings, and obvious absence of war. The Hebrew concept of shalom, as envisioned by the prophets, especially Isaiah 11, 1 through 9, is a sign of God's reconciliation with and protection of God's people. God blessed the Israelites and, by God's presence, gave them peace. Well-being, absence of conflict, both within the tribes of Israel and with other peoples, prosperity and unity are markers of God's presence. In God's continued effort to offer salvation, Jesus became the peace offering who brought about reconciliation. As an internal disposition and fruit of the Spirit, peace is a sign of faith and discipleship. Peace gives Christians the ability to have grace when facing enemies, an inward knowledge of and conformity to the will of God, a spiritual blessing, and a sense of security. Spiritual peace is often marked by a sense of calm and assurance, a trust that cannot be willed into existence but can only be felt when it is given. Peace found throughout the community and world is considered a sign of God's kingdom as envisioned by Jesus Christ, end quote. In terms of definitions, the Holman Bible Dictionary defines peace as, quote, a condition or sense of harmony, well-being, and prosperity. The biblical concept means more than the absence of a hostility, and it is more than a psychological state. Continuing on with this definition, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word shalom and its derivatives have been said to represent one of the most prominent theological concepts in the Old Testament. The word group occurs about 180 times in the Old Testament. It was not a negative or passive concept, but involved wholeness and completeness. Continuing on, in the New Testament, the term translated peace is irene, E-I-R-E-N-E, in Greek. It occurs in every New Testament book except 1 John, most frequently in Luke 14 times, followed by Romans 10 times, then Ephesians 8 times. The term in the New Testament could refer not only to the absence of hostility, strife, and disorder, see 1 Corinthians 14.33, but also to the condition and sense of being safe and secure, as is the case with Acts 9.31. Christ made peace between believing Jew and Gentile by making them into one new man in him, consistent with Ephesians 2, 14-15. The term could also describe a state of either physical or spiritual well-being. 
So we have Shalom in the Old Testament and Irene in the New Testament, with the latter capturing being undisturbed, a deeper peace, rest, tranquility, and ease in knowing our salvation is secure in Christ and we are reconciled to God through our union with Christ. This Greek word, Irene, which I might be mispronouncing, can mean wholeness or, quote, when all essential parts are joined together or God's gift of wholeness, end quote. Examples of peace in the Old Testament include Psalm 122, where peace is prayed for, quote, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Examples of peace in the New Testament include Mark 5.34, quote, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Or Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We also have the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians, which includes peace. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that Jesus is our peace. And in Philippians, Paul says there is a peace of God that, quote, surpasses all understanding. So, throughout Scripture, we see the importance of peace, which we pray for and God provides because of our union with Christ. Because we are reconciled to God, He dwells within, offering us His fruit, including His enduring peace and inner peace. For Christians, then, we need to practice an awareness of what's already there, yielding to, surrendering to, and trusting in the peace that only God can provide given we're a dwelling place for God. So now, as we turn to classic Christian spiritual writings, I believe that Centering Prayer, a simple practice anchored to the classic Christian spiritual practices, can help us in in this regard, given it's really a form of surrender, trusting in God's peace in the here and now. So within Centering Prayer, which was developed in the 1970s by several Trappist monks, Christian monks who were inspired by a variety of classic Christian spiritual writings, such as the anonymous 14th century English work, The Cloud of Unknowing, Christian practitioners are invited to select a short prayer word in order to surrender to God's presence within for a formal period of time, usually 10 to 20 minutes, once or twice a day. During this time, the idea is to recognize when our minds have inevitably drifted to something else, such as another thought or feeling, sensation, memory, or image, then gently and lovingly, with grace and mercy, turn our attention back to the Word. This Word, according to Centering Prayer, represents and captures, symbolically, our intention to surrender to God's loving presence in the here and now. From my perspective, Centering Prayer, anchored to the Christian tradition, can help us to cultivate both mental and spiritual well-being, since we are doing a few things. First, we are training our attention so that we can notice inner distress and gently pivot to the prayer word. Second, we are practicing God's presence, which means His peace or shalom is with us as we are a dwelling place for the fruit of the Spirit. And third, we are slowing down to maintain a more transcendent, meaningful perspective on life, not getting lost 
in preoccupations with the mere pursuit of pleasure and avoidance of pain. So to practice centering prayer, the directions are simple. Quote, choose a sacred word as the symbol of your intention to consent to God's presence and action within. Here we might say to God's peace within. Second, quote, sitting comfortably and with your eyes closed, settle briefly and silently introduce the sacred word as the symbol of your consent to God's presence and action within. Third, quote, when engaged with your thoughts, return ever so gently to the sacred word. And fourth, at the end of the prayer period, remain in silence with eyes closed for a couple of minutes. So to begin the short practice, find a quiet location free from distractions, sitting up straight in a supportive chair with your eyes closed, and say a prayer to God, asking him to be with you and give you a deeper sense of peace and well-being which only he can provide. Now, when you're ready, say the word peace, doing so slowly, softly, and interiorly. This word peace captures the peace that God is providing right here and right now. You have been reconciled to God through your union with Christ. You're a friend with God, no longer an enemy with God, and you are justified because of what Christ has done on the cross. And so there's a deeper peace within because God is within. You are a dwelling place for God's fruit, the Holy Spirit, including peace. 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 Engage in slow, deep, natural breathing, which captures the reality that there's nothing else to do or nowhere else to be, no one else to be right now. You can just rest in the peace that only God can provide because you're reconciled to him. Peace. Peace. And whenever another thought or feeling, a sensation, a memory or image comes up, just acknowledge it gently. Then slowly effortlessly return to the word peace, which captures your willingness to yield to God's peaceful, loving presence right now as you consent to God's presence and action within. Peace. Peace. You have access to a deeper mental and spiritual well-being because you've been reconciled to God, nothing you've done on your own, nothing you've earned, but instead God has given you grace and mercy and forgiveness and love right here and right now because of what Christ has done. And he, Jesus Christ, is your bridge to God. And as a result, you have peace. Peace.
peace. Peace. This peace captures God's shalom that he extends to you right now, given you're no longer enemies with him. You've been justified, reconciled to God through your union with Christ. Because of this, you are a friend to God, and he is offering you his loving, peaceful presence right here and right now. Peace. Peace. And as this time comes to a close, thank God for giving you a deeper, abiding peace because His Holy Spirit resides within, giving you His fruit, including His peace. When, when you're ready, you can open your eyes again and reorient yourself to your environment. So to conclude, mental well-being, spiritual well-being can be combined. With mental well-being, we have a short-term pleasure-seeking component, hedonic well-being, and a more long-term component, eudaimonic well-being that attempts to seek and attain meaning, purpose, the pursuit of values, personal growth, and personal development, and the betterment of society. We also have a spiritual well-being that looks for a more transcendent understanding. Secular psychology has confirmed that we can actually improve well-being, both mental and spiritual. With sacred word, mantra meditation, from my perspective, being especially attractive to Christians. Given we're learning to, like this research has confirmed, slow down and focus on one thing at a time. God's loving, peaceful presence reflected in the word peace. By using this word, peace, to capture God's loving presence, we are recognizing that we are friends with God and we have a trustworthy traveling companion on the roads of life, on the often arduous and sometimes treacherous roads of life. We also recognize we're a dwelling place for the fruit of the Spirit, which includes God's enduring, perfect peace. Over time, as we learn to gently repeat the word peace within, we are practicing God's presence from moment to moment, slowing down to recognize he is with us on the roads of life, maintaining a more spiritual transcendent perspective wherein God is at the center, guiding, governing, and loving us in each unfolding moment. And we are pivoting away from impermanent inner distress that is a reality in a fallen, broken world. If you like this episode, please share it with others. Consider giving me a good rating on the various podcast platforms and join me again for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.